Hello, it's the business community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And this week, Heather, we're looking at an article, aren't we? Furloughed hairdresser is the title I've got on my notes. <laughs> it's not the article of the, uh, um, sorry, it's not the title of the article, but it almost is, isn't it? It starts with that. Furloughed hairdresser, 20, on the brink of becoming a millionaire. Now, I've got to say, Heather, I don't know about you, but I, I got myself a little bit annoyed reading this article with the confusion between turnover and profit throughout the article. I got thoroughly, thoroughly annoyed with it. Well, I would, there's nothing I would expect you to because, <laughs> because of your background. Yes, it is a bit frustrating, but... Um, I think you still can't deny that he's made quite a lot of money. Yeah, I've got to say, <laughs> give the, the guys due. Ben Gulliver, um, he was furloughed and he started a business in his um, bedroom using his parents' garage to store the stock. Not just one business, but two. Um, he started one business and sold it. So I think he's done it. This guy's going to go on and be a serial entrepreneur, I think. That's the feeling I get from reading this article. Yeah, I mean, it it does sound a little bit like he's um, he's always sort of had that in his genes a little bit. He's, you know, he used to. Um, it reminded me of my brother actually, because my brother, who is an uh, an accountant, when he was a kid, he used to buy um, like tubes of uh, polo mints. I can't remember how much a tube of polo mints was, but say it was eight pence, and there were twelve in a tube. He'd sell them for a penny each at break time <laughs> and make a profit and this guy was basically doing the same thing buying 15 pence lollies and selling them for a quid <laughs> excellent this is one of the things it says he made a thousand pounds a month did he make or did he turn over a thousand yeah. pounds a month when he was oh. 14 well that's impressive so even, even just to have a thousand pound a month passing through your hands at the age of 40 is <laughs> pretty impressive. It's more than some self-employed people. But yeah, I've got to say so. I think pretty impressive story here. So go right back. He was um, furloughed as a hairdresser. Then he started a business selling teeth cleaning devices. Now, I like his thinking on this. He, he looked for something that would solve a problem, which is a classic um, way to come up with a business idea isn't it what problem have we got people can't go to dentists right he bought teeth cleaning kits from China and then sold them I think that he sell them through Amazon I, I'm not quite sure um, he sells his gym equipment through Amazon and that's the one that was sort of featured at the start of the article yeah so, I don't think he I don't think he, he says explicitly but um, he, he was selling quite a lot of this stuff it's a lot of people <laughs> yeah because presumably the margins aren't massive on on buying and selling that sort of stuff so you've, you've got to do volume I guess hence uh, I imagine his parents are probably quite keen to get their garage back I would have thought yeah but then I started wondering if he was using Amazon whether he was um having uh, you know order fulfillment from Amazon oh yeah which of course you know for a lot of people makes makes the need for any storage admittedly he is using his parents garage but yeah. um you know you don't actually need to have a big warehouse because you no. can just draw down stock and it be fulfilled 
by yeah. Amazon. And that's where the balance comes in, I guess, because your margins are lower, but you could potentially get more volume. So, mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. But he good. said that in his best month, he sold over £200,000 worth of goods. And it, and in another, he sold £100,000 in 10 days. So again, even if you've only got a 5% profit margin, it's not horrendous, is it? No, not bad at all. Uh, all done with a laptop and a phone, it says uh, mm. in, in the article there. So uh, he's now employed his best mate, hasn't he, to help him out? Yeah, well, he sold, as you said, he sold the teeth cleaning business to an American investor for a five-figure sum. Uh, I'm always interested in five-figure sums and what that actually means, you know, because, you know, £100.23 is a five-figure sum, but... Um, that's just the cynic in me. <laughs> but he, but he, he sold that and then he sort of wanted to get on to the next big thing. So he went onto YouTube and was looking at, you know, the whole solving a problem. And from that, once he started to research what products could sell, what products are selling well, that's when he started to think about selling exercise equipment because during lockdown, everybody's trying to keep fit and, you know, gyms are closed and that's when he really was storing stock in his parents' garage. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing, isn't it? So it, with thinking like that, he can go to the next great idea and the next great idea. And if he, he keeps building up um, the funds available to invest in his business, yeah, I think he's going to go places. I, actually, I, I did notice there's a quote from Ben himself where he says um, that he's um, he's made a million pounds, million dollars so far, but he does clarify it by saying... That's revenue rather than profit. So fair dues to Ben. Yeah, he did better than the journalist did with that article. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned earlier, he's he's employing his mate, and his mate's dealing with his his mate deals with customer services and things like that. <laughs> I guess that means not buying, not sourcing products. But yeah, fair play. Play to him. Yeah, he says he now wants to get a property portfolio together. So I guess if he's made himself a little bit of profit on, on this business, then he's got the ability to then go and invest in these properties. He wants to buy houses, do them up and sell them on. Maybe he's been watching Homes Under the Hammer. I love that show. <laughs> but, you know, one thing he does mention, he's got a mentor who is a guy... I'm not familiar with him, Neil Westwood, who um, got investment um, in a magic whiteboard. So it was one of the biggest success stories from the show. And, and this guy, Neil, has been mentoring Ben. He, he worked for him for two years and he learned an awful lot. And he's sort of very much talking about doing a sort of um, a time served apprenticeship into the world of business rather than going to university yeah he's sort of learning uh on the hoof uh which again you know i think is is brilliant i also like his attitude as well as he wants to help other young people start up in business um and you know letting them know that all you need is a laptop a phone and an internet access and you can create a business so uh you know, I, I think that sort of attitude is it's a really positive one. And I, I do hope he uh, he goes on to, to bigger and brighter things. Yeah, I think what's really interesting also is if you think about it. So he was a hairdresser. He was apparently selling hair pieces. Then from that, he went to the, the, the teeth cleaning 
um, product. Now he's gone to sports products and now he's on to property. You know, none of those, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit off on a path to say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go from hairdressing to teeth whitening to, it, it, you know, it is very much, he must have, things have evolved and he must have sort of yeah. just spotted opportunities as they came his way. And I think that a lot of us, particularly when we're setting up business, we get a little bit hung up on the, what's the end goal when in actual fact let's just let's just focus on this first bit and see yeah. where that takes us well uh, his end goal was to work for himself mm. by whatever means he said mm. he he always knew he wanted to work for himself from a young age so when, when that's your end goal then there are loads of different paths and and t- twists and turns you can take on that journey aren't there yeah yeah totally Good luck to him and uh, good luck to his parents. Uh, hopefully, uh, well, I hope, I hope they're charging him rent. <laughs> if, it's not, if it's not rent for his bed and, um, bed and board, then hopefully it's for the use of the carriage. <laughs> now, Heather, um, I've, I've got to come on to this book that you asked me to, um, to review with you. So the, the book is called um, Beyond Culture. Is that right? Yes. By Edward yes. T. Hall. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say. I really, really struggled. I'm glad I didn't buy the book. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe. You, you've you actually got a physical hard copy of the book, haven't you? So what I'd really like to know from you is yeah. how could you read it? <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I like to think that I've got a, a certain amount of intellectual ability I wouldn't blow my own trumpet, but I, you know, I can read some pretty highbrow stuff. But this, I started reading an article about the book and my eyes glazed over several times. I couldn't just get my, and it wasn't that it bored me at all. I couldn't get my head around it all and it wasn't sticking. So I don't know, maybe, maybe my head's in the wrong place this week, but please enlighten me, thrill me. Give me all the reasons why I should try to look at this again. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that actually, although it is a book, it's actually like an academic paper, really. Um, and, and and it's dated back to 1976. So this book was, you know, first drafted then. And I think the reason that I like it is because it talks about a lot of the stuff that I'm really interested in and, you know, fascinated in now. That's not to say that some of the time I was reading it and I was thinking, I don't really know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. Um, and and yes, there were times when you know if you're reading a you're reading a novel and it's not really floating your boat, you sort of speed read a few pages just to hope that you get to something that grabs your attention. So there has been a bit yeah. of that going on. But, yeah. Um, well, this article that I read was um, by an academic. A, a Richard Lanigan from the International Communicology Institute. So it was an academic paper about quite an academic book. But I, th- I thought as I was just reading the blurb and they said, beyond culture is a must for anyone who requires a readable, exciting introduction to intercultural communication. And it's an excellent first guide for students, now this is the key bit, in the difficult area of cultural perception and expression. So I I reckon I've just picked up the difficult part of that rather than the readable and exciting (laughs) part. 
But also, I think um, I came at this from the other side of the book, effectively. So I was doing some research for some training that I was delivering. And, um, and we were talking very specifically about um, for people who don't have English as a first language. Uh, and, and these people work in the export advisory field. So that's when I started to think, okay, well, there must be some differences between the way different cultures communicate. So I was just really looking for some evidence to support that that was actually a thing. And then I started to, to you know, unfold all of this extra information, which talks about context. So high context culture and low context culture. And then I found out that all of a lot of this is hung on Edward T. Hall's book because he seems to be the first person that really discussed this and looked at how uh, the amount, essentially, the amount of information that people communicate is affected by their cultural position and how we, if we're trying to engage with people of different cultures. It might be affected if we think that they're they're too much or they're not enough. They're oversharing, undersharing, and how we can make sure that we, you know, we measure our communication accordingly. So, I think it's really really interesting, and some of it fits into the workplace just anyway. I, I agree, and I when you talk about it like that, it is very interesting, very exciting. And it's a mix of psychology and anthropology and communicology, which I didn't even mm. know was a thing. I didn't uh, know that was a word. But yeah, it was just reading the words. So maybe I just need to see a diagram. <laughs> yeah, well, funny you should say that because ah. I have a couple of diagrams that I have unearthed and I will share those on our blog because this starts to um, look at, so what I was doing with the, the people I was training, I knew that one of them was Brazilian and that one of them was French and I knew that I, yeah, I'm, I'm British. So I wanted to look to see if there were any differences between the ways in which we might communicate and uh, the Brits. And the French are low context cultures. So we're quite um, matter of fact, or don't overshare. Uh, if you think of, you know, the, the British stiff upper lip um, and, you know, that sort of direct approach versus the Brazilian culture where things are much more free flowing and, um, you know, the example that I used is if you, I've got a sister who is, um, uh, is is Chinese, Singaporean, and a sister-in-law, and I've got another who is Korean. And when I hear them speaking in their native tongue, they sound angry all the time. <laughs> you, know, okay. just, you know, they just seem really, really vexed. And that's because of the way that they are um, prone to communicating. So high context cultures, such as Chinese, Korean, Japanese, um, um, Arab, they are... Uh, they're very family orientated. Um, they feel very responsible for the family. They're very high on um, the concept of face, that, you know, that um, public image that you, you, you shouldn't be embarrassed and you mustn't embarrass anybody. Um, so, you know, that's that's quite interesting. And then if you look at low context, such as English, North American, Swiss, German, um, they're all about being independent and individual, you know, not not being part of the larger family group. They don't really care about face. They'll just say it like it is. And we're all in it 
for ourselves. Now, that's obviously that's um, a very broad brush brush stroke. But when you start to think in some of those ways, you go, oh, yeah, OK, I can see how we not. It's not a conscious thing necessarily, but I can see how we differ and how there could be problems with communication across cultures and not always language specific. So uh, I think it's fascinating, but I do understand um, how it, you know, it could be a bit overwhelming. But even then, I must just say this, that it also applies just in types of communication. So face-to-face -face communication is high context. Low context is, is a text message. Okay. So once you start to think of it like that, you go, oh, okay, I kind of get this now. Yeah. So it's obvious that communication is is different across um, the world and also different platforms that you use to communicate, obviously, yeah. Are, yeah. are different. Um, so I, I think I would also give um, a little bit of a mention to one sentence in um, on the Goodreads website, which um, should encourage somebody to try to read this book or even read around it and look at some of the links on our blog that you're going to put on our website, which yeah. is the business.community. It says on Goodreads that Beyond Culture is a book about self-discovery. It is a voyage we all must embark on if mankind is to survive. Wow. It's that's that quite, serious, yeah. Yeah, that's quite radical, isn't it? So I yeah. think we should all read it, really. I should try again. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a Sunday afternoon cup of tea snuggle on the sofa book. Um, and it doesn't have any diagrams in it. And you know what that means for me. I, I mean, I can't, a book without a diagram, nightmare. But I can see post-it notes in there. There are post-it notes, yes. Oh. There are post-it notes. Yeah, I think, I just think it's really interesting. So a lot of it goes over the top of my head, but some of the snippets and the way that he explains the rationale I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, good. So um, you put a link for that on our website, will you, Heather, and all yep. the details and links to the diagrams, which I must actually make a point of going to yep. look at. Yeah, yep. so just a reminder, our blog is on the website called thebusiness.community. We're also on SoundCloud and um, Apple Podcasts and all good podcasting platforms. But Heather, people can also buy us a coffee, can't they? Oh, do you know, I wish they would. In fairness, your daughter's bought us a coffee and my husband's bought us a coffee. <laughs> but I, I want us to reach outside of, I want us to reach outside of our own families. Yeah, can I just say anybody... that our, our family members bought us a coffee because they felt sorry for us. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, dear listener, we don't want you to feel sorry for us, but if you fancied buying us a coffee, that would help us to pay for the, the hosting and the, uh, the SoundCloud hosting and our web hosting. Um, and really, that's that's all we're trying to achieve. So um, if I had a little hat on, I could have like a little begging hat. <laughs> but um, And if you don't want to buy us coffee, then we can spend the money on gin. You can stipulate buy gin. <laughs> we don't mind, do we? <laughs> no, or books. Or books. Yeah. Pretty much sums up my life. Coffee, gin, books. <laughs> oh, and chocolate. Yeah, well, that has to feature, doesn't it? That has to feature. So, so the person that we're going to review this week, profile this week, actually has got some really close connections with um, our topical discussion and the guy who, you know, the entrepreneur who hairdresser 
turned internet uh, shop sensation. And this is a guy that upon this guy. I can't remember. Sorry, Heather, you, the connection just broke up. Then what did you say? I said, how did we decide on um, profiling Alex Lovin? Okay, we're going to go with that pronunciation. Good. Um, Lovin, is that right? It's got an, a, got an accent. I've not got a clue. There's an accent, isn't there, on the E? But no, I don't know. Um, because um, I think as soon as I heard about Ben Gulliver uh, yeah. selling sports equipment um, online, buying it from China particularly, and then selling it on to make a profit, I immediately went to um, the guy who runs the business down the road from me um, in Wrexham, um, and he's the founder and CEO of Networld Sports. So that's essentially why I suggested we look um, into him. He's um, won lots of awards as well. He's, he's quite an interesting character, and not least, I think, for me. I don't know what, what you think, but it's his own personal style so I looked at his um, LinkedIn profile you know it's written in a style that's it's not your common uh, LinkedIn profile shall we say it's not the corporate and then I looked a bit further in um, uh, the statement this group strategic report for for their latest stat accounts for the group company and I'd say that's certainly not your standard uh, statement there I did have a look at that because you'd signposted me to it. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, God, what's, you know, what does she want me to read now? But I see exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. His own personality. He He's not afraid to put that well and truly in the centre of his business, shall we say. So, um, you know, he talks about his business model um, and basically um, talking about his unconventional approach and uh, proving an unconventional approach. I get the impression that, there were doubters when he was setting up his business because in where he talks about strategy as well, he says, one year ago, a competitor said, maybe one day we'll take you seriously, Alex. And he says, I don't think they're laughing now. And this is in a, a group strategic report in stat account. So you don't normally see those sorts of comments. And obviously he's, um, he firmly believes that Brexit is a good thing for the UK. And he makes that very clear in his stat accounts again. So, you know, fair dues to the guy. He's not afraid to put his personality right at the centre of his business and um, all of his publicity. What you see is what you get, I guess. Mm. Yeah, yeah, def- I mean, definitely that. And But mind you, that sort of comment, that would be red rag to a bull to me if somebody said, you know, one day maybe we'll take you seriously. I'd be like, right, here we go. So you can't blame him for, no. you know, if that fueled his, um, the fire in his belly, fair play. I think yeah. that's pretty good. Well, put it like this, so looking at the um, the accounts, a turnover of 25 million and a profit of 2.6 um, last year, then I, that's pretty good, isn't it? And he, somebody to be taken seriously when he set up his business, pretty much like Ben Gulliver did. Yeah, well, he did. He, um, so... He's based, his business is based in uh, Wrexham. I live in Oswestry and, and he grew up in Oswestry. In fact, he attended Ellesmere College, which is a Woodard school just, just near Ellesmere. But he started doing something similar. He was buying cheap cricket bats and then selling them at school. So he found out that he'd bought a cricket bat uh, and paid £60 for it from a company based in India. And he contacted contacted them and asked them what the wholesale price would be, and they said it was six pounds. 
Wow. So he was buying these six pound, six pound cricket bats and selling them probably not for 60 quid, uh, for 50 quid. There we go. That's a bit like the whole the whole way that, that Ben Gulliver set up his business. So, well, uh, sort of blows my argument out of the water about it being low margin then, doesn't it? Well, on, on that one, yes. I mean, I don't know. Did you look at the website for Networld Sports? No, I, I was looking around it really rather than into it. I, I went I went to the website and lots of sports gear, sports this, sports that, sports the other. But he's obviously very shrewd. So there's football, cricket, tennis, golf, etc. Then he's got a whole sec, uh, a whole page on the website that is called Lockdown. And if you click on that, it's very specifically things like the type of kit that you might want that you can't access because your gym is closed. Uh, and they've also diversified a little bit into hot tubs. Ah. Uh, because everybody's been, been buying hot tubs. During, yeah, for uh, following the current problem, yes. Exactly. So so I think he, he clearly has got a, he's got a, a great inquiring mind, but a lot of this stuff that he's selling is actually his own branded stuff. So he's having it, he's having it made and well badged obviously overseas and then selling it at a significant profit. Yeah. Amazing. He's got barbecues. He's got all sorts of things just really finding his way around his market and, and his audience, I guess. It's really interesting. Mm. I saw an article in uh, ShropshireLive.com. Uh, it's from last year, but he talks about um, a business internship that they were running. Uh, and a bit like our guy at the top of the show, Ben, uh, he's keen to help other young people to progress as well. So this internship is for people who aren't going to university. Isn't, so it's an alternative. It's intended as post-A-level alternative to university I don't know how it's gone because I couldn't find an article which talked about the end of this internship. So like I say, it was start, It was last year. But it's to give the experience across um, several different departments, from sales, customer service, web development, accounts, logistics, marketing, just so that they get a fully rounded experience of the whole business. And that I was interested to read that all of the current managers at NetWorld Sports have worked through the business and they've worked in different areas of the business mm. which is, I think is a, a good plan to have you get a, a, a really rounded knowledge of how your business works and how it all fits together so um, hopefully you get less of the silo thinking going on in the di different departments yeah and he also um, I think there was also an article around the same time where he'd gone back to Ellesmere College to talk to the sixth formers there and share his story. You know, he didn't go on to higher education after he left Ellesmere College. He went out and set up his own company. And so I think he, you know, he likes to share his experience with the students and say to them that, you know, not everybody needs to go to university. If you've got a great idea, then, you know, it can fly. And I think that's really how the internship started, was actually offering places to, to young people from, from Ellesmere College. So, uh, but he features on the Sunday Times Richlist Wealthiest Young Entrepreneurs in Britain in 2018. He ranks at number one, worth £55 million at the age of 30. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
I did uh, have a quick delve into Companies House. Like I say, I've looked at the stat accounts and I wanted to see what people were involved in the businesses. And it is a family business. Um, Alex is the significant officer there, but his mum and his dad are also directors of the main company and, and group companies as well. But it looks like now that um, Alex has become the person with significant control. Because sometimes you look at these things and there's loads of other different directors got involved and mm. advisors involved, but they've kept it very much in the family, this one. Did you notice or did you think, because when you mentioned to look at the strategic um, report, I had a look at at um, the most recent one and then I looked at the previous one. Oh, and no, I, I didn't do whether, that, no. I wonder whether that one might have been written by his father because it's slightly less. Uh, what's the word, uh, forthright. So I just wondered whether, it was a bit more conventional. So yeah. I wondered whether, you know, his dad wrote the one and then he said, right, come on, son, you need to do this. Or he said, dad, I'm going to do it. But it's slightly different. A different uh, style. So, oh, I yeah, need to have a yeah. look at that one, yeah. yeah. Or maybe he just felt like he doesn't need to prove himself anymore. He's already done that. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And who says that your um, group strategic report has to be conventional? Well, no, it, no, you're absolutely right. You're say absolutely what right. you have to say legally, and then everything else—it's up to you, isn't it? Yep, yep. So, yeah, an interesting story. Clearly, very successful, and, and, and I think it's just interesting because we didn't really, we didn't intend to start talking about young people who were entrepreneurs, but it sort of went down that route. Um, you know, you you find one thing and it leads you on to another. And I, that's what I quite like about this format is that we don't really mind where we where we go. No, in many uh, ways, it's one of the joys of um, being able to do this, isn't it? It's been, you know, that joy of falling down a rabbit hole and, yeah. you know, taking in the twists and turns and seeing what else that you can find that's new and exciting. Do you know what I'm going to be doing between now and next week? I'm going yeah. to be getting on YouTube and find out what things I need to be buying, putting them in somebody's garage and selling them online for a massive, massive markup. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what you need to do, Heather. If you need any help with that, just let me know. That's all we've got time for this week on the business community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. <laughs> <laughs>